two times every year. Twice every year, on the 18th of April and the 24th of August, as if it wasn't enough just to happen once. Hundreds of visitors come to a place just outside of Westport to watch a celestial phenomenon. And in this episode of A Quiet Voice, we're going to look at how it shapes our relationship to the past, to our ancestors, to the land itself, and it's just another example of how Ireland has such spectacular, rich spiritual history. But more than that, I want to discuss and invite you to look at the stories that are in your life, that are in your mind, that are coloring your world and affecting your well-being. Because I want to make the case that if we can find nicer, pleasant, more optimistic stories, that our inner world and our outer world will reflect a much higher quality of presence. Along what's called the Heritage Trail of Crowpatrick, which is an ancient trail that pilgrims used to walk from, some believe, the Hill of Tara, all the way to the west coast of Ireland. The Hill of Tara is almost in Dublin, hundreds of kilometers away that would be walked all the way until the west coast of Ireland and up the ridge line of uh, Crowpatrick. Many archaeological and Neolithic and sacred sites fall along this trail, and people wonder why. Why is that the case? The question becomes, is the trail there because it links all of these sacred sites, or are the sites there because... The trail is there. You understand what I'm saying? Nevertheless, the Boa Stone is a fascinating and often overlooked site in and around the Westport area. It would could be considered very similar to the Winter Solstice Complex, which I talked about uh, in a Winter Solstice episode. I believe that's episode 2B, I think. In that episode, I discuss how from the site of the Winter Solstice Complex, this row of stones seem to point with a holly tree growing out of the crack of one of the, of the last stones to a point in the ridgeline of Crowpatrick at which on the Winter Solstice, the sun perfectly saddles itself inside of the ridgeline. That is, if you're lucky enough to see it on winter solstice. My understanding is that it hasn't been visible for decades, simply because the cloud cover in Ireland during the winter solstice is so low that it doesn't allow for anybody to see the sun, much less even the ridgeline often. The Boa Stone is very similar in that marks a relationship between this holy mountain shaped like a pyramid called Crowpatrick now and 
hundreds of years ago, thousands of year, years ago, was called Krukonigli, Eagle Mountain. And it probably had names before that, that we have long since forgotten. As long as people have been here, there seems to be a draw to this mountain. And, it, it, and why not? It is pyramid-like in its geometry. One could say it's part of the Connemara mountain range, but it, it really stands apart in a ridgeline all of its own, yet imposing over Clue Bay. It's the same mountain which I discussed in a previous episode, pretty much dedicated to Crowpatrick and all of the myths around it. I'd encourage you to listen to that if this mountain intrigues you as it does me. The Boa Stone is not a Neolithic site in the traditional sense. It's not an arrangement of stones. It's not a circle. Uh, it's not a dolmen or a tomb, this kind of place. In fact, it's much more of a natural outcropping of stones. Still made of quartz, as is much of Crowpatrick, a quartzite mountain. You can see the sparkle of white quartz coming out of the rock when you stand next to it. But even the brilliant white quartz is pale in comparison to the beautiful carvings that are all over the Boa Stone. Many people call them cup and circle formations. Imagine a smooth outer ring carved into the stone. And then an inner ring, just smaller inside, also carved deep into the stone. So that it looks hmm, almost like the first drop in a pool of water. A ripple, even. And there's over 230 of these carvings on this rock, which, even though it has never been protected as it needs to be, and is exposed to increasingly acidic rain, many of these cup and circle formations are, have been lost to erosion, um, even in the last 20 or 30 years. But there is a record of 200, over, over 230, and some of them, which are sheltered from the rain, are quite, quite visible. It is probably one of the best examples of Neolithic rock art that we know about, especially on the west coast of Ireland. And it's this strange rock that many people, for thousands of years, had known was close to a sacred site, being Cropatrick, but they hadn't associated it with any sort of meaning. Always the cup and circle markings remained a mystery. That is until 1991. April 16th, 1991, a local historian by the name of Jerry Bracken cycling from a position sort of near the Boa Stone, 
And he just happened to glance back at the mountain to see in his <laughs> shock and awe that the orb of the sun, the glow of the sun, which is dimmer in the early spring sunset, was resting on the right-hand slope and then, in his own words, rolled like a fiery chariot wheel down the side, precisely on the silhouette of the mountain. He returned two days later and saw that the Boa Stone watched as the sun set precisely at the summit and then rolled down its northwestern side. Now, he himself said, being a local historian, that he rediscovered this phenomenon and he was convinced that there must have been a time at which point ancient people knew that that phenomenon was observable at the Boa Stone. And there must be a significant time when the declining sun hit the peak of the, the mountain. He was even looking uh, around the site, believing that there was probably an orientation uh, with the peak of the mountain. And eventually he found out that it was from the Boa Stone on that day that uh, he found the location. Imagine that persistence, examining on a bicycle in the 90s, which is a pretty, you know, albeit still primitive time in, in the west of Ireland, <laughs> persistently looking for a point from which you can observe the sun setting and hitting the point of Kirkpatrick, and then also finding that right where you find it, there is a inscribed rock. <laughs> it's, it's uncanny, really. It's uncanny. It's a natural phenomenon. It's a synchronicity of the highest order, really. Serendipitous <laughs> would be the word, I suppose. Now, you can imagine that this serendipitous knowledge of this point at which the sun sets, combined with maybe a perceived control or, you know, of, of the sun would have been really useful to ancient people, especially tribes and chieftains who could use it as a place to conduct rituals or maybe orchestrate phenomenal ceremonies. Put simply, perhaps that site was carved into the rock because the corresponding celestial event or phenomenon on the April 18th and August 24th represented the point at which the agrarian people needed to be planting, the last point of planting, and the first point of harvest, you know, the last planting and the first harvest. It would have a significance powerful one, especially in line with old pagan beliefs and sights weaving into this, the story of a sacred mountain in the west of Ireland connected to the hill of Tara. It weaves into even the story of St. Patrick, who famously supposedly climbed 
Kirkpatrick and fasted for 40 days. At the top, Bowstone was once called the seat of St. Patrick. The seat of St. Patrick. Now, I couldn't really figure out why it's called the seat of St. Patrick. Maybe, maybe they just assumed that as St. Patrick was about to climb the mountain, he sat on this rock to maybe muster up some courage or some faith in uh, what he was about to do. Very likely it could be connected to the fact that, that the Boa Stone is also a, a mass rock or a place during which the British penal laws of Ireland were very cruelly punishing people of the Catholic faith and people who practiced the Catholic faith. They, they would go to these secret spots uh, in the remote parts of Ireland to practice uh, without being disturbed uh, in secret. So very, very much the mythology that uh, probably came from pagan ancestry then came into the St. Patrick climbing the mountain and then transferred into the Boa Stone as a significant place to observe that. Anyway, now as much as I love to talk about the phenomenal history around this rock, it is these precise things that make Ireland so seductive and so tempting and to especially foreigners like myself who come from uh, the United States and many people of all across the world find that when they come to Ireland they feel home they feel this quality of being that they didn't know they could find in such a foreign place and it causes them to return over and over and over again even people without blood roots or ancestral origins note this feeling and i believe that it comes from the fact that <laughs> there's so many phenomenon like the winter solstice complex like Cropatric itself like the blue glow of the late summer sun on the long days as it descends into the west coast ocean There's so many things that create such a magical aura around this island. There's a story around every single hill and every single wood, every single glen. It matters more about what we do with the story. How do we look at it as a phenomenon? Because it's so easy, and many Irish people are are aware that they don't take their own history and their own legacy and their own ancestry as, as seriously as foreigners do or as, as revered, you know. Many people say that, I've, I've read articles, that that, that is a result of post-colonial influence. Ireland being a colonialized power for such a long time the last relic of British colonization and the is the destruction of culture to the point where people feel 
alienated even from the land that's underneath their feet. You know, it, it becomes tainted by pain and suffering to the point where you're always looking towards the future because the past is so, so painful. Maybe that's the glimpse that foreigners get to Ireland is they get to walk like with virgin feet on the sacred ground and reconnect with what Ireland really is, a holy place, sacred place. In some ways, that's what I find this podcast is, <laughs> is doing often, is giving me an opportunity to connect with the stories that, that I love about my time here. I deliver them to Americans and people outside of this country who long to be here or long to visit or know that there's a mystery in these green fields that, that, are, that are captured in these stories. And at the same time, I know that Irish listeners listen for the same reason, even though it's right in their backyards. However you want to look at it, it is a larger echo of, of what we were talking in the previous episode around how beauty is always there for us to see if we have the eyes to see it. And if we close our eyes to this beauty, we don't suss it out. We don't extinguish it like the light of a candle. But instead, we invite the peace and presence of silence and our own being to light a candle within us from which we can illuminate the darkest parts of our lives with a new radiant quality, a new beauty that's found from within that we take with us wherever we go. We don't suss it out as much as we invite the opportunity to instill it within us, to invite the fire within to begin to echo outside, to radiate into our world around us from within, that there's a reflection between the inner and outer world. See, the more that we allow the outer world to be tainted by stories of fear, stories of scarcity, stories of tension or stratification, of separation and distance, of violence and anger, if we allow that to come into our ears and our eyes, you know, or, or, or be around people who, who believe that the world is a terrible place to be in, then our inner world will be the same. So, in my mind, the story of the Boa Stone is an opportunity to remind ourselves that nature is giving us a natural place to come back to being through the witnessing of the beauty that's all around us all the time. That place was there long before there were inscriptions on the stone to mark any significance. And how 
Strange it is that the sun should roll down any hill, perfectly embodying its silhouette even on one day out of the year, let alone the, the, the time that... And then, of course, that this Jerry Bracken should see it and discover it, and then find that people for thousands of years, you know, that stone, those inscriptions are older than the pyramids. You know, they're, they're 3,000 BC, <laughs> 5,000 years ago. That, that people that long have been connected to the same phenomenon that you are looking at. You can witness. I invite you to find those phenomenon that are in your backyard too. You don't have to be in Ireland to identify with the fact that every night when we look up at the sky at night, we see the same stars that people would have seen 5,000 years ago for, for millennia. The same people looking up in the same sky, the same sun in the same sky, the same moon in the same sky, and wonder at the same questions that we wonder ourselves now. We have stories. We have explanations. We have data and scientific information. And this is the real rub that I'm that I think is the reward for listening this long into the podcast. Because this is the make or break point. This is the climax, you could say. <laughs> the thing that I'm trying to bring to you is that we must be very careful about the stories that we allow into our mind because they will create the world that is all around us. Let us compare, for instance, the tales of mythology, even of indigenous people who had a relationship with the sun that was not scientific, it was not empirical, it was not oriented in data or distance or light years or metrics or seconds, minutes, hours. It nonetheless, though, had a relationship with space that embodied a sense of peaceful, calm presence. Whether it was the sun god Ra or any other sun god, It invited a sense that you as a person, as a human, with two feet on the ground are part of something and witnessing something so extraordinary that we are watching an immortal being in the sky move across the heavens. <laughs> you know, we're defining the sky as, as not just the sky, but a place where where, where spirits live and that we might return to or that we came from, you know, that we are both part of something and yet at the same time witnessing and then in a third way creating <laughs> through our witnessing. So that you as the human become empowered, empowered and connected in a way that invites stewardship, respect, trust, love, compassion with the natural world. I want to ask you whether or not you feel that way in light of the new myths. And they are myths. 
the new stories that are told to us about science or by science around similar phenomenon that are observably old and archaic, that they run so deep into the core of the questions that we ask ourselves that now we have explanations for them. But the stories, I, in my opinion, have run amok. They have run awry with inferiority. Inferiority. Because whether it's the Big Bang, or whether it's evolution, or whether it's uh, pick your poison, really. All of these, many, many, how should I say it? From the context of the Boa Stone, a scientist would look at the phenomenon as probability. Probability. That with so many days out of the year, there should be a point being that we are, I don't know, you know, moving around the sun in this way, and there's a focal point, like a pointed uh, mountain, which from a certain point, you know, it will descend down the side, you know. And that it is just probability. And in those two words, just and probability, we evaporate all of the sense of belonging that we have to the story. Everything that is in us that says we are human and answer that tries to answer the question as to why we're here is not in that story. It's not there. Ah, it's just probability. Why was I born? Why am I here? Why, why am I able to look upon a giant star cresting the horizon two times a day and then watch it descend around a holy mountain that has been ascended for millennia by people who ask the same question, why am I here? What is the point? That's uh, just probability, really. You know. Now, they flip it sometimes and they'll say, well, the probability that you weren't going to be born is much higher than you being born. So we're quite lucky, actually, that we are born. Like, oh, geez, that's so comforting, isn't it? And there is another story that there's a flip side that I've heard, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, talk talk about, in which sense, you know, you you are the universe. They, they try to pull in some of these spiritual uh, taglines, like, oh, you are the universe because you are borrowing a lot of these, uh, you know, every atom in your body was made by the universe. So, so uh, you are the dust of a sun and you are the, you know, the, the ray of a comet, you know, <laughs> you're all these things. I mean, okay. Yeah. I suppose what I'm trying to say is that I'm, uh, those don't work for me. Now they work for other people. In fact, they work for a vast majority of people, which is why they're so popular. And what I'm trying to, to, to advise and to recommend to you is that, is that you must pick a story. And even by not picking a story, well, you're picking a story. <laughs> it's going to be made for you. Whether if you choose not to pick one, that choice is made for you. And it's made for you by, well, by the way in which you consume media. It's made for you automatically. 
And that doesn't mean that I reject science, and that doesn't mean that I reject the scientific explanations for them. As much as to say that I find that it's helpful to cultivate a space of awe and extraordinary presence so that we can observe these phenomenon from a place of just being and observation. And we can connect our own meaning, contextualized within our own life, so that we can maybe deduce a meaning around why we're seeing it at this moment. What does it mean for us in our story, in the evolving story of our lives that's happening every second of every day? Does that mean that I need to look at it and, uh, you know, dismiss it? It's like, ah, yeah, it's just the sun moving down, blah, blah, blah. No, of course, I, I don't. that doesn't do anything for me. In fact, it just erodes an undercurrent that even gives me the integrity to ask the question, why am I here and what is happening? Pick your story. Choose it yourself. And if you don't know how to pick your story, well, you, you, you can invite deeper introspection and allow the story that, that resonates with your heart to appear to you. And what I mean by that is by carving out more silence, more sacred space. It takes an hour to watch that sun descend into Clue Bay running down the silhouette of the mountain. And if we had an hour every day, and not just something that we took one hour out of the year, or twice, because it happens two, twice, so two hours out of the year, to invite that sense of stillness. Take, for instance, my example of the natural phenomenon of the night sky. It is so difficult to find an untainted version of that. Populated cities and urban centers, you could be lucky to see just one star in the sky. As we push out our light, like we do the defining story of our center, we blind ourselves to the beauty that's there when we are when we are closed down, when we are present, when we are not egoic, when we are not there to shine, but rather be dark and witness. So you have to travel out of where you're comfortable. You have to travel out of the cities. You've got to travel out from the places in which culture is coming into your ears from all sides and assaulting your senses. You have to be still and quiet. And you can find that place, and everyone's place is different. You're probably already looking for it by listening to this podcast. Where would we be, and what kind of relationship to the world would come when we are listening to only our heart, only the quiet voice? The rational mind has pummeled the intuitive for such a long time that if we don't begin to invite the stillness and introspection and form a relationship with our own intuitive mind, then we will, we will live our whole life in probability. 
and probability. As a number, a quantifiable thing, you know, another measurable experiment, rather than an unfolding phenomenon. Hmm. I get very excited about this, this topic because, well, because, because I see that the course of a lot of culture is pushing us into less focus, less connection, more separation, more distance, more anger with the natural world, with others, with community, our local communities. And where is that coming from? Is it something that we want or is it something that's being fed to us? And if it's being fed to us, what if we went on a hunger strike? What if we stopped paying attention to the stimuli in our lives that is seductively sweet and but poisonous, but poisonous? All the fear, all the all the anger, all of the distrust, all of the, you know, uh, the politics, the propaganda, the the shame, the shame, the 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 carnival barkers, the the circus, let's call it. You know, as long as we're looking for entertainment, that's what we'll be given. That's what we'll find, is we'll find entertainment. And when we're finding entertainment, we're distracting ourselves from the presence of our own being, from the presence of our own being. You're not going to remember all the TV shows you watch. You're not going to remember all of the news you watched. You're not going to remember all the sports you watched. You'll remember time with your family, friends, and yourself, with nature, with loved ones. That's what you'll remember. And that's where I think you derive a lot of satisfaction and a lot of just hmm, resolve in answering that fundamental question of why are we here? The Boas Stone and the Rolling Sun phenomenon in this context is an invitation from the natural world, from Gaia herself, to connect with the natural beauty. It lights the candle within us. It lights the candle within us, you know. And from that point, from the place in which we have lit the candle within ourselves, when we're listening to that quiet voice, that's when we can begin to spread it to other people and to illuminate the world that we want to see so that we can look at a person who is angry or distrustful or poor or rich or what have you as as another point of light as another point of phenomenon not just a probability you know so again this is not a, an edict it is not a manifesto this is not the point at which i'm trying to convince you to have my way of looking at it as much as to say that 
you must make a conscious decision to invite the right things into your life. And I challenge you to do that and not see that your life gets better. And rest assured, as I said, and I'll say it again, if you feel as if you're, you know, you're, you're not making that decision, well, uh, it's made for you. It's made for you. Hmm. Find your own path. <laughs> and you can choose to believe in these types of things or not, you know. But I think that life is a lot more beautiful, more resonant. When we do, I can find presence and a deep purpose by just witnessing. When what I'm witnessing is beautiful and extraordinary and not not, not uh, anything but, but that. As always, I want to thank you for listening. Until next time, you've been listening to A Quiet Voice with me, Colin Ward. And I wish you peace and presence. And I'll talk to you soon. Goodbye for now.